Well, yeah, we uh, we are probably one of the most defining monumental sections in really all of the Bible. Think of uh, the history of Israel and such. You know, it sounds rather dramatic to say that, but uh, all the promises that God had to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and on and on and on, and He promised that they would be going into the promised land. And they are there. Here it is. And of course, this is a great picture of the promised land, salvation. And then ultimately, you know, they, we think of being with God right in the presence of Him, which is the ultimate promised land, isn't it? But uh, this is a great picture of that. This is true history and uh, shows you the faithfulness of God. It's a defining moment. I think every uh, nation probably has defining moments. Of course, we can think of uh, uh, World War One, World War Two, or the Civil War, going all the way back to the Revolutionary War, which is, of course, George Washington and all the history that goes there. And you know that's monumental because that was where you know you see God in uh, His hand. Being involved in in everything, you know, being a God of providence, and so as we look at this, uh, very defining. Uh, and of course, you look back at the Red Sea and the crossing of that, uh, as they got away from the Egyptians and Pharaoh and the whole lifestyle that they had, and got them on to the route to the Promised Land. Of course, they had to wait forty years because of their disobedience. But uh, this is on par with that uh, with that Red Sea. You see God working uh, mighty wonders here and uh, covenant promise that He has. And, and God is a covenant God. He made promises to uh, Abraham and uh, some of the other ones, as I said. So as that's happening, then we looked at chapter 2 last week was dealing with Rahab. And Rahab, uh, of course, knew that this was the true God that had delivered uh, Israel. And the reason they crossed the Red Sea and they had defeated the latest enemies on their way there. And so here we are, we see that uh, the Canaanites are fearing the Israelites as they are embarking upon their territory. They're just across the river and it's probably... Uh, at the first camp, before they get to the river, maybe something like about 20 miles, something like that I was trying to figure out today, and you get different answers from different people, but, but roughly, you know, 20 miles, like driving from here to, to Lynn, something like that, right? And so uh, they will first be going to the Jordan River, uh, getting close to that area, and then crossing over and camping there. So that's where we're going to be at tonight. Israel crossing the Jordan, and then there are memorial stones that are uh, put up for the people to uh, remember what God has done and how He, in His great power, does amazing miracles and feats for us. And so it's uh, very uh, uplifting for this uh, nation of Israel. And as we look at it, we see that God is a faithful, mighty God, isn't He? Uh, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank You for who You are and what You are about. We are in awe of You because You are the God 
who is all-powerful and your will is always done and it's carried out by your people and as you lead them through, it just shows your mercy and grace because just like them, we know that we don't deserve your deliverance, your salvation that you give us and the Israelites didn't deserve that. But it was all a part of your sovereign plan and we are amazed at that and we are so thankful because it uh, gives us a great picture of what you do today in Jesus name amen so the first thing starts off and we'll just you know this is just like a story it reads through it's a story but it's it's all true every word of it um, so we'll just read it and kind of take down the uh, major points of it we're all familiar with this story but as you look at it a little bit more in detail I think it uh, really brings out the character of God as we always see uh First five verses, Joshua rose early in the morning, and he all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan. They lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp. They commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, with a Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. Isn't that the truth? So, Israel had defeated the Amorite kings, the two of them, Sihon and Og, they camped at that one place called uh, Shittim, which means uh, acacia grove, the acacia trees, and that's where that was at. They uh, spent three days in preparation. People were now ready to march. They're not at the river yet. They will go something like about seven miles from that acacia grove to uh, the river. So they have a preparation for that, and they want to move as close to the river as possible. You have to, you know, it's still a pretty good few miles to get there, and then they will uh, get it ready. That it's going to take a, I guess it'd be quite an undertaking, wouldn't it, to uh, do this actual crossing with all the many people there are, thousands upon thousands upon thousands, crossing this uh, river, Jordan River. By the way, it's at its height. It's at its peak. Uh, it's in late spring, and this is where you have the floods. And, of course, we, we're probably thinking about floods here this year because all the snow that's been up north again, like last year, all the rain that we've had through the winter, and our ground is all it's going to do is just let it run off because it's so saturated. And so here we have more of this, uh, more fluid coming in, and it's just going to run. And that's the way it did uh, all the time there. So we're talking, God is going to give them instructions to go over this river. And at the same time, it is at the worst time that it could be, you would think. But there's a reason for that. Uh, God wants to show His glory. And a lot of times He gives us some pretty good floods, doesn't He? But He gets the glory out of this because He knows what He's doing in that. So when things are most difficult... 
God's doing a thing. So, okay, so you got the command for the officers to give instructions now to the people. Joshua says, okay, now do this. He's getting his instructions from the Lord, and he says, now, go, go to him. Tell him here what's happening. The officers go to him in the midst of the camp, and they started commanding the people uh, these particular things. Now, the, the uh, um, Ark of the Covenant is, is to be out in front of the people, and that's God's means of leading the people all throughout the wilderness days. Remember, they had cloud by day, fire by night. He was always with them. He was taking them through the wilderness. He knew exactly you know, how, how to lead them. And here again, this Ark of the Covenant is representing God Himself, isn't it? It's representing that He's going to lead them to a place of safety, a place of rest. They're, com- they're familiar with this procedure as they've had the Ark of the Covenant uh, in, the, in their midst. But it symbolizes the very presence of Yahweh. You know, this uh, eternal God is with His people, His covenant God. Um, it said, I believe, that this is Ark of Covenant as they carry. It's supposed to be like 2,000 cubits, which is like about, I think, um, 1,000 yards, which would be like 10 football fields. 100 yards times 10, that's the way I try to feature that. But that's how far you have that. Now, why would they have to be that far from them? From the from the priest and the Ark of the Covenant. Well, I first of all, I think God is showing that He's a holy God, and there is a distance that He has maintained. If you remember, like forty years ago at this time, from the, as far as they're concerned, uh, you remember the uh, Mount Sinai. They were not to go and touch that Mount Sinai. As far as you can go, that's it. If you go any further, what happens? That's it. Right? You die. So anyway, uh, I, I still think he's showing that uh, he's holy. And he's separate from them, even though he is the covenant God. And, and he has his presence with them. But you also have the Ark of the Covenant out there and it says, hey, if you mess with Israel, you're messing with God. Messing with Yahweh there. And, and believe me, these people know about this God. As, as uh, we saw last week, Rahab even called him that, you know, this Yahweh, this one creator God, the, the one true God, really. So, um, we get to verse 5, and it talks about uh, consecrate yourselves. That would be uh, wash your clothes. Uh, yourselves, stay away from sexual relations, all of this. It's, it's just calling the people to uh, to be separate themselves in a sense, be clean, uh, consecrate yourselves, uh, separation, that's the idea, and uh, get ready because to, tomorrow you're going to see something. You're going to see some wonders. And, and he, as he says that, he says, uh, I will do wonders among you. And I think of this, I think of a blessing-curse principle. Um, as God's people are faithful to the terms of the covenant, what does God do? He blesses them. Uh, it demonstrates His faithfulness. Hey, if you do what I say, 
I'm going to be faithful to you. At the same time, he's going to instill fear in the hearts of the enemy, the Canaanites. So there's a blessing, curse principle here, and that's the way that God has shown throughout Scripture as we approach this uh, crossing of the river there. So that's that's the first part. Check out the second uh, section here. It's dealing with commands now to the priest. He gave the commands to the people as the uh, officers uh, shared what Joshua had told them. So start in verse 6. And, uh, Joshua spoke to the priest saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall moreover command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, that he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now then, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priest who carry the Ark of the Lord, the, uh, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. What an amazing scene this is. This really is, you know, we always think of the Red Sea, but this is tremendous too. And those floodwaters are coming through. Nobody tries to cross over the river at that time. But it's going to happen here. So he gives final commands here to the priest. And it's becoming clear that the Ark of the Covenant here is uh, symbolic uh, of the power of God and that he's going to manifest and so the Lord had directed Moses in redemptive history, and that's what this is. It's all part of redeeming, isn't it? A redemptive history. He now directs Joshua almost the same way. Detailed instructions. Here's how it's going to go down. Just listen to what I say and do it. And you ought to see something. <laughs> so so the, uh, the symbol of the power of God is now there that's being real established. Uh, verse 7 and 8, it's dealing with the confirmation. The point of the miracle is clear. Everyone in Israel will know that God is with Joshua. So that, that's what he's saying there uh, in, um, what is it? Uh, seven. Verse 7, yeah. Oh, exalt you in the sight of all Israel. So they may know that just like he was with Moses, earlier. Now he is with Joshua. And, you know, they're becoming aware of that. And now they really will whenever this happens as they go into the land. Um, Joshua reveals God's purpose to the people there. And uh, I think you will see in verse 9, he reveals the purpose to the people. Um, Yahweh has revealed it to Joshua, puts this forth, and God is using Joshua like a mediator. He used Moses 
as a mediator, didn't he? That's go between between him and the people, just like Christ is a mediator to us, between God the Father and us, the mediator, the mediator of the covenant. And so, um, God is summoning His people to hear His word. He uses Joshua to do it, delivers that word, reaffirms the promise that he has always made and that they he's already kind of told them. And now he's telling them that he'll tell them again in chapter 4. He just keeps reiterating, reaffirming. You notice that's what Scripture does. You know, all the way through Old Testament, New Testament, he's reaffirming the promises that he has made for his people. Because a lot of times we forget or we sometimes think that He doesn't care regardless of what's going on. What He's done in the past, sometimes we just kind of forget, push it to the side. So He's always reminding us. It's a good God, isn't it? He keeps doing that. Um, anyway, reaffirmation there. The true and living God. He's speaking. He's speaking to, to uh, Joshua who then takes the Word and He preaches it to him, or gives him what uh, God has told him. That's the way God operates, isn't it? He operates in that God way, telling His Word. Yeah, go ahead. About how old is Joshua by this time? Well, let's see. Um, we know that Caleb is like somewhere around 80. Caleb age? Yeah. At this time? Joshua, we're not told that I know of. Probably really close to that okay. same age. Well, they've been in the wilderness 40 years, and right? And I didn't know how old they were when they went. Uh-huh. Well, they said, he, they said Caleb, how old he was. Yeah. Reason, but we didn't, I'm assuming Joshua. Yeah. I was just curious. Yeah, when we had that one week study that we did on Caleb, you know, we, we saw there that he was like in like 85 when he was making his triumph. You know, I mean, I just, I mean, that's We're just amazing. <laughs> yeah, come on, let's take them on. Yeah, when I'm 85, I'll feel like that too. That's right. <laughs> You're doing pretty good, Penny. You're doing pretty good. You're getting closer there. I could say that because I'm there too. She's 35 for how many times now? I forgot. Anyway, that's encouragement to us. Uh, verse 10 is interesting. Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you and that He will assuredly dispossess from before you. And then he starts naming you know, the Canaanites and all the other ones that are there. You know what? Jericho already knew, didn't they? Rahab knew. Everybody in, in the city there knew about how awesome God's power is. They knew who the true God is. Who's done this? He's done miracles. Now you have these various tribes and peoples. They had heard the, about it too. Just like the people from Jericho. Everybody knew about them. You know, they weren't that far. You know, we're just in a, a, a small land cons, uh, considerably compared to other places. And, and so it's like, really, these guys are nothing but squatters. You know what I mean? God holds the title to this land. And He has a plan for who He wants in it. And so, uh, he's going to evict them all. <laughs> you know, it's just like, they've kind of been hanging out there, but it's not really theirs. Some people would say, well, you took their land from them, drove them out, 
kind of God is this? Well, if you really study how evil and wicked these people are, it was time for judgment. And he had already prophesied that that would happen. And because of their wickedness, he wants them out of the land. Don't even leave any of them. Just mow them all out. Didn't always happen, but... Uh, well, how did they end up in that land to begin with? Was it only the... Well, if you, if you go back to the the Tower of Babel right. and the confusion and people spread out. So, you know, they're not that far from where they had come from in Babel. You know, a lot of people just stayed there and you have groups of people that are really, uh, they're named after uh, one particular person, usually. But, uh... This thing's got a whole chart in there. You know, like it says the Malachites came from the grandson of Esau. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. yeah. This Bible does. Yeah. And they got the Ammonites. The Amorites tells you where they came from. Yeah, and he's from Ammon, uh, which uh grandson of Lot. It's pretty amazing, you know, uh, oh, by his yeah. youngest, daughter. His youngest daughter. Yeah. <laughs> and you've heard of Ammon. Ammon, Jordan. Ammon. So a lot of these names are even kind of with us today. You know, Edom. You know, the Edomites and... Uh, some of these names are lost, or we don't know exactly where they were from. Some of them, most of them, we we do. How about the Moabites? You know where they're from? You know, just on the uh, east side of the Jordan River there. That's, that's from that uh, area. Lot two. What's that now? Moabites from Lot two. Exactly. Again, and and we we see the results of some things that were not so good out of that. <laughs> you know, Edom and yeah. So it's it's fascinating. To see, well, you know, they they originally knew who the true God was. All these people did. But spread out into, you know, of course you think of Baal. They worshipped Baal in that area. They worshipped uh, Asherah. Uh, you can go on and on. Uh, the, all the different sun gods, the moon gods. You know, it was, it was a land of pagans. And they spurned the true God. They had... Uh, human sacrifices, you know, child sacrifices, uh, animal sacrifices that were not like uh, uh, to the proper God, and fertility rites. It just goes on and on. So that's the kind of stuff that was going on in this land, and that's why God has His people to consecrate themselves. Realize what where, where you're going into, and what I'm going to do. And so Israel has to be consecrated before they enter into the land. And of course, you think the Canaanites, that can be a general term for a lot of groups of people, but a lot of times it's specific here, like the people here that would be in this area just west of the Jordan River, you know, right there in, at where Jericho is at. You got the Hittites, they were probably the most feared people of this uh, land at this time. And uh, then you have, uh, they were kind of, I think, around the hill country of Judea, Hebron, Beersheba, Jerusalem. A lot of those people hung out there. That was the Hittite territory. There was the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites. Uh, the Hivites probably lived where around Lebanon that we know of. That's where they would be, all in this, you know, basic land of what we know as Israel, the parasites and the forested area. 
there in that area, the Girgashites, Amorites, of course they're east of the Jordan, Jebusites are the ones who live in Jerusalem. So that's some of the people, or the people that uh, God is going to dispossess their land from them. Uh, 12 and 13 is dealing with the sign that the people are going to have to know when it's time to march. It says when the Ark of the Covenant was positioned you know, as it goes near the, uh, the water's edge, that's the Lord of all the earth will demonstrate then His great power when they get there and right there at the river. Uh, covenant faithfulness, isn't it? Total faithfulness in, in what God is doing. So this is what they've been promised all this time. Going back to, well, just go back to Abraham, for instance. How long has this been now? Uh, 400, 500 years. Yeah, all around that area. You know, that's, and there it is. This time has come. And so, yeah, Abraham was somewhere roughly what? You know, 2000, somewhere in that vicinity, and this is. What somewhere around you know 1500, 1400, just estimates, but a few hundred years, and this is it, you know. And this story is so familiar. A lot of times I just would you know just brush by it, but I'm thinking, wow, this is a major point in history for the Israelites. So, in 14 through 17. Says so when the people sent uh, set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priest carrying the ark of the covenant before the people and when those who entered the ark came into the Jordan and the feet of the priest carrying the ark were dipped in the edge of the water for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of harvest the waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarephan, and those which were flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, Salt Sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. And the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. So, you get this miraculous provision for this crossing. This is the climax of the, of the crossing right here. You know, I think the, the time has come for them to go into Canaan, to go in and claim the land God has given them. God stops the water from flowing up north wherever Adam was, uh, all the way, and then it's on the other side, it goes down towards the Dead Sea, Jordan's at flood stage, and the water is at its deepest, and then it just stops it. And that's a miracle. <laughs> that that is, is a miracle. They pass on dry, dry ground. ground. Yeah. So just, and it was. It probably wasn't even muddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As they marched I mean, it through there. It would have been impossible to get across if it was like it should have been. I mean, yeah. you can stop water, but you still got, you know, even when yeah, it's not how do you get through all this mud? <laughs> I, it was not raining in my backyard. It's a mud. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. The ground is dry. It's a miracle, guy. That's awesome. A lot of people try to deny the Red Sea thing and call it the Red Sea, or then hear that this was, well, you know, it got dammed up a little bit. 
Uh, well, actually, Jordan River, you know, you can see across it. It's probably, I don't know, maybe like the Osage River. You know, something about that size. But then, when you take and expand that, it's going well over its banks. And so, and, and this is at its very peak. I mean, you got Mount Hermon that is way up in north uh, oh, part like of Israel. Uh, well, yeah, 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 the that's Osage a, River not here. Yeah, it's you know it's pretty good sized, yeah. but uh, of course you know when you when you think about uh, of course you think of the Mississippi River or the Missouri River even it's probably not that big, but whenever it's flooded out there it probably looked really huge. it's going over its banks. Oh yeah. And we know what happens here with the Missouri River when it goes over its banks. Oh, sure, so it who knows how what the width of it was, but it's a lot bigger than it normally is. Well, now, my Huge. notes are saying that it could have been like the mudslide up there at Adam and stopped the water. They, they, my notes are saying that it did that in 1927. That, and so there are some people that say, well, that's probably what it was. But that wouldn't have made the ground dry. Right. This is dry ground. <laughs> this is dry yeah. ground. This is, all this is all God doing this, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt about it. I'm not for sure exactly how fast it dries, but it don't dry that fast. Uh, no, because no. No. They, they've got to get going. No mudslides. Um, yeah. <laughs> now, they're crossing the river that's opposite the city of Jericho. I was trying to get how many miles it was from the river to Jericho. Is it like a mile, two miles? Well, to the next, to the place where they're going to camp is something like about seven miles as they head towards Jericho. That's Gilgal, which has a lot of history. So somewhere around seven miles from Gilgal to Jericho is like two, three miles. So we're, we're still 10 miles away from Jericho. That's not too far. That's basically, what, East Jeff City to West Jeff City or something, you know, right? Or out of St. Martin's or what have you house what you know so but that's how far the close that they're actually I guess you could say are, are getting and they did that just opposite where Jericho is at it's, it's and the people know they're they're in the area well um, why did God choose what really is the most difficult fording spot in this whole river isn't that interesting? There, where Jericho would be, and this flooding going on, it would have been a very difficult spot to go across. And you know what? For one thing, I think it proves his power to his people, and and I think it has to terrify the Canaanites if they have any spies at all that are watching this. That's nobody would expect that spot. That's right. Or maybe they don't even notice anything because they're expecting them to cross somewhere else if they're coming over. Yeah, I'm thinking they probably terrified the priests. They were the first of the priests. Yeah. One step at a time. And no one, if you touch the Ark of the Covenant, might have if you slipped with it. Oh, man. So, the priests stand in what is the middle of the river as the water is then completely stopped flowing. They're standing firmly, it says, as they stood on this ground. 
standing firmly. So, like you say, they're not slipping and sliding here, as you would think, on that uh, muddy mess. And then, what we're seeing, you know, he keeps talking about the, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. This is a glorious day in the history of Israel. It really is. It's a great, you know, quite a nation that God has put together. They're entering the land of promise. And this defining moment is here. And I think about the Jordan River. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. Right? It was really close to this same area. Uh, that is really fascinating because Jesus had even gone down. And, you know, and I'm putting this in... You've got to be careful how you, you do this. You start thinking some of the similarities. Jesus is the ultimate deliverer, right? Uh, he had gone down into Egypt. Do you remember that? Remember whenever he was a baby, he was taken to Egypt. He came back, and of course, there they were out in the, the wilderness for a little bit as they traveled through until they got back to, and they kind of skirted Jerusalem and then went on up to Nazareth finally. But it took a while. So he had gone down to Egypt, returned to the wilderness, and just as Israel had come out of Egypt into the wilderness, and here he is, the true Ark of the Covenant that leads his people into the Promised Land. Kind of a picture there, anyway. Both named Jesus. Yeah, Joshua is Jesus. (laughs) Good, Good point, because that's exactly the deal. He's a great picture of Jesus in this sense, too, isn't he? Isn't Isaiah another name? Uh, Yeshua. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the exact name, how they pronounce it, but it's it's very related to the same thing, which is dealing with the Lord is salvation. salvation. The Lord is salvation. The Lord saves. Something Jesus like saves. Yeah, that's what it There's is. A lot of the names there. Yahshua, Yeshua. Yeah, exactly. So he is the true Ark, ultimately, isn't he? He, I mean, because it's representing the presence of God. But here it is. You know, you, you know. Jesus is the very one. Yeah, he's delivering them. Let's get started on chapter 4. That sets us up though, doesn't it? They are now there. They're at the river. What are they going to do in the river? <laughs> As they cross it. Well, let's take, a, let's take a big section here. Now when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua. There's the Word of God again, right? Saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe. Command them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe, and Joshua said to them, Cross again to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. And each of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign among you, so that when your children ask later, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, Because the waters of the Jordan were cut off from the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. Thus the sons of Israel did as Joshua commanded, took up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, just as the Lord spoke to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. They carried them over with them to the lodging place and put them down there. 
Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the feet of the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. And they are there to this day, as the writer put this. For the priest who carried the Ark were standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything was completed that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded. Joshua and the people hurried and crossed. So, they've got these thousands and hundreds of thousands of people, I guess, crossing over this Jordan, this flooded river. What a sight that would have been. And they've moved over pretty quick. How big do you think these stones are? Well, they're big. They're real big. And there's a couple of things going on that's uh, kind of interesting. You know, it talks about the stones, and we'll look at that in a moment, that are that are in the river, and then there are stones that they're to take to the camp in Gilgal. Yeah, these are big stones, especially the ones in the river are going to be huge. Yeah. Yeah. Are they still there? That's a good question. I mean, have they anybody? Yeah. I can't get any answer on that when I've been looking for that. It's like, okay, because I know the writer writes this up to this day, you know. But it's like, uh, what's archaeology ever discovered? Have they been able to see some kind of structure from these rocks that were there? As well? Now, archaeologists have uncovered uh, chariots and. Yeah, that's because they had all the enemies. Yeah. Debris. So with those, (laughs) with that. Because they did the same thing there. They have, there have they been did. some things that they have covered, uncovered? Yeah. Really? Yeah. They found they found chariots and, yeah, horses. I'm and, just wondering. Yeah. I don't doubt it. <clears throat> but I was just wondering if they found the stones at <laughs> the altar. That I'd like to do some more research on it. Yeah. I, you know, through all the commentaries that I ever read, nobody ever really says anything yeah. about this. Like, wow, I'd like to know, well, you know, are they there? Or, you know, how long did they last well, there? it says forever. It says forever. But so it, it's like... Well, maybe it might mean something else. Can it, they're not there at all. Yeah. I don't know. That's where I'm uh, left at. I wish I had more. It might be uh, some other interpretation. I don't know. <laughs> well, I knew, I knew everybody would probably ask that. That's the reason <laughs> I looked at it. But looked at such great links with them that they had to come from underneath those priest's feet and everything else. It wasn't just pick a large boulder. It was like a particular thing, which is just kind of makes you wonder what they were made out of. Is there something unusual about those stones? Yeah. Well, that, they've got to be pretty pretty massive. Yeah. Well, he said they came above your head, though, too. So. And when the flood goes down, it's like... Those things would be sticking out. That's what I was wondering. There's like a, you said there'd be twelve. There'd be twelve large stones. I mean, we're talking yeah. boulders. Do they still sit there today like that, or any more aerial views and stuff? Makes you wonder. Well, I don't think we'd. I, uh, I don't think you'd probably see them that way. They're probably, if they are, maybe there's something underneath. But why would he do that and not make them apparent? Because it is, like you said, it's a memorial again. Yeah. The steps I wouldn't be surprised if they don't. I'll do some more checking. Yeah. You guys find out, let me know. Now, when it says to this day, is that sometimes added by a scribe who is copying the word later on? Yeah, as, as this writer is putting that to, the, to this day, it's still here. You know, like if Joshua was writing this, and most people say Joshua wrote Joshua up to a point, you know, and then he dies. 
you know, but somebody else takes on that. But as they write it, you know, uh, Joshua might have given a lot of the notes, maybe somebody else, but it's still many years later, you know, that that as they wrote this, um, oh, when you get you've to got the end evidence. of his life. There, yeah, right. And, he's, uh, and then the story comes together. And he's Right. He says they're still there to this day. Right. I said, okay. That would be one I was saying to maybe the, like hundreds of years down the road that, you know, the, the guy's copying the word is saying to this day they're still there as a memorial. I think, I think actually it's, it's probably in, in the original. I don't think it's anything added. But that would be worth looking into too, because I've always seen that there before, and I'm saying to this day, does that mean right now? Well, well I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, you know, it, whenever it was written, it sure was, you know. Well, and I have to wonder how long did it go after that? Used to say that this was all made up in the uh, during like uh, Nehemiah's time and stuff. The, the history of Israel is fictitious, and they made it all up then. And this is this is why they keep saying that to this day. I don't. Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't. I don't. Yeah, it. Um, but that are the enemies of the Bible? <laughs> they, they use that, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, they'll take anything they can get, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll keep looking. Come across it because it is fascinating. There, are, you know, some questions like, what does that mean in, the, in these sections? And yeah. The notes aren't too uh, too deep on that. Anyway, this whole story is deep, that's for sure. Amazing, isn't it? So, you know, uh, it's a memorial. That's what this is about. That they would never forget what happened. So this story, even though we may not see these rocks, we know that here is something that happened. It's true. We can believe every word of it. And, you know, God keeps His covenant promise. And if He can have little memorials that go along with it, like in your own lives, you probably have, like, your, in a spiritual way, your own memorial stones. You know, where God has done something for you where, you know, you were at a low point, God lifted you out of it. You can think of salvation, that's definitely a, a point there if you know, you know, when the Lord did it. Some people do, some don't. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, God has done a lot of things in your lives. Certain things that, that you remember that are real important the way that He, he worked in you. So, uh, we always need a constant reminder, don't we? The Bible is always reminding us of all that God has done for us. As we sit here tonight, we think about the things that God has done for us that we have not deserved. How, how can you not? You know, when you look at this, Israel didn't deserve this, this kind of treatment. You know, they, uh, of course, the ones who rebelled against him out in the wilderness, and of course, all of those people are dead and gone. They were strewn out all over the wilderness. Yeah, so, the, you know, the children, you know, who are now grown up, anywhere from, like, what, uh, the ones that were 20 years old and up, or up down, so, except for Joshua and Caleb and, you know, those faithful ones. So, the oldest people here probably would be like, what, about 60? If you're 20 and you had 40 more years or 60 years old. Some of those are now experiencing what they had been looking for. 
So you get the sheer number of people and animals and materials involved as they go across this here. And it's a quick cross. You know, it's, it, this is not a small feat at all. I used to think, well, yeah, I just want to cross the river. <laughs> this is real. That's thousands of people. So people did exactly as Joshua commanded. They went quickly across. There's, there's good direction going on here, isn't there? And they're finally in Canaan. Things go well when people obey God, don't they? So, based upon an assertion here, either Joshua built a second memorial in the riverbed, which would be visible, you know, uh, most of the time of the year when the water level is, is low and also, he's setting up stones on the place where the priest stood, you know, uh, moved by the twelve men to the place where they go to Gilgal. There's a couple of things going on, it seems like. Um, what happened after the crossing? Well, verse 11. And when all the people had finished crossing, the ark of the Lord and the priest crossed before the people. The sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over in battle array before the sons of Israel, just as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 equipped for war crossed for battle before the Lord to the desert plains of Jericho. On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, so that they revered him just as they had revered Moses all the days of his life. So... <laughs> That's right. Uh, they crossed over ahead of the rest of the Israelites, uh, those that two, the two and a half tribes, which we already saw in chapter one, didn't we? And because Joshua had said, "Hey," and then Moses had already told them that those two tribes and, and the half a tribe would stay uh, would be able to get the land over on the east side of the Jordan River. The rest of the tribes will get the rest of Israel. They wanted to stay there. But then he said, yeah, but here's the deal. You've got to go fight first. You've got to help all the rest of the tribes. And so here they are. It's funny. It re- reiterates that. He didn't say, hey, we got our land over here. We're good. Toodle-dee. You know. so how are they going to get back across Jordan? <laughs> <laughs> I'll stay with the kids. Somebody's got to watch well, That's true. And, and some of them did. A lot of them did. <laughs> there were older people there and such. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. I'm with the kids. <laughs> so true. <laughs> but uh, they willingly did this. And... Uh, they, so God doesn't forget those guys and He just shows that, okay, here's the deal. They're sticking with it. They're not bowing out here. And uh, people are willingly obeying. And so they uh, get over there and the, the army's ready for the conquest. And people are standing in awe of the fact that Joshua is doing the same kind of leadership that Moses did. You know, everybody knew about Moses. This is the new Moses, right? So he is God's man to lead them. And uh, they have no doubt now. Are they ever encouraged? <laughs> you betcha. Well, the final stages of the crossing. Penny, I think we're going to do it. <laughs> I told you we're going to treat Joshua a little bit differently than the way that we do a lot of our New Testament, because a lot of this is just, it's, uh, it's storyline that uh, kind of grasped 
easily, I would say. But then again, there's a lot of questions. What does this mean? (laughs) But, verse 15, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priest who carry the Ark of the Testimony. This time it's the Ark of the Testimony. It's been the Ark of the Covenant. Same thing. Covenant Testimony. That they come up from the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest saying, Come up from the Jordan. Okay. It came about when the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord had come up from the middle of the Jordan. He keeps pronouncing that, doesn't he? The middle of the Jordan. And the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up to dry ground, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and went over all its banks as before. I think you said lifted up is they're coming out of the uh, the bottom of the river up to the, the banks and go on the dry I didn't know on the they land. Lifted them up. Yeah. You know, just, they were walking in there. Just kept on going. Right? Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth of the first month. Listen to this: the tenth of the first month. It's the tenth of Nisan. I'll explain that in a moment. Camped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. Those twelve stones which they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. He said to the sons of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel, cross this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which He dried up before us until we had crossed, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Does that ever say it? So, the water returns to flood stage. You know what? There's no turning back. God is going to you know, fill it back up. It's just like, you ever heard of the uh, some of the uh, ships whenever they've hit the land of the destination they've gone to, like uh, some of the Latin countries and, and such, where the ships would be burnt. Heard of that? That means we're here and we're not going back. They wouldn't be tempted to get out of there. This is it. As far as it goes, God brings on that. And He wouldn't be trying it up next time. right? There's no going back. Israel has to rely upon God's power. You look back and you go, whoop, I guess that's it. <laughs> there comes the floodwaters again. Uh, he's had a covenant promise all along. There's no reason not to trust Him. That's the way we have to look at it in, in, in our lives. And no matter what's going on, we can trust Him. Um, he's going to enable them to defeat the, the Canaanites. He actually does it. You know, uh, The... The tenth of the first month, or the tenth of Nisan, does it ring a bell? Exodus 12, verse 3. Go back to Egypt. No, don't go back to Egypt. Exodus 12, verse 3. It says. It reminds me of Easter. March or April, right? This is Passover. It's exactly what's happening. God has His timing, doesn't it? Isn't this interesting? Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying on the 10th of this month, happens to be what Nisan would be for them, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's household. A lamb for each household. Ah, 
This would be four days before they would kill the lamb. They would take the lamb, bring it into the household, and then it would be killed. Well, Jesus was presented on the 10th of Nisan whenever he came into Jerusalem. And on the 14th, he was crucified. The Passover lamb. He is our Passover. What's interesting, 40 years ago, this happened in Exodus 12, where uh, on the very 10th, God uses this exact same day, they're going to have Passover at camp just before they go and take Jericho. (laughs) They are going to have a celebration, and it's the biggest celebration uh, holiday that they have. Passover is. And yeah, it pretty well coincides with what our uh, Easter is or Resurrection Day is. Um, so, it's it, yeah, it, it goes right along with that. It's coming up Tuesday. Yeah, six weeks. This is Fat Tuesday. And so, six weeks later comes... Um, Tuesday? Yeah, it's Fat Tuesday. Mardi Gras. Yeah, and then tomorrow is... Ash Wednesday, which is where the Roman Catholics now, well, they actually eat uh, meat, but they eat fish on Friday, you know, right? Fish on Friday. So, but that's they have to give up something. It's Lent. It's the Lent season. Eat lobster on Friday doesn't that sound horrible? That's such a I think one time, but during the Lent season, that's you know that's the whole whole deal. Well, that's their suffering, though, don't you know? That's That's their their suffering. suffering. Yeah, to eat fish on Friday, to eat lobster. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. it's tough, isn't it? Or give up something like uh, I'll give up chocolates for the next six weeks or something. They go to Red Lobster on Friday. That sounds like they're really really putting on the pretentiousness. Yeah, I know. It's just. They had their fish fries on Fridays and, you know, like at a Taos and Wartsville and other places. I was going over Hope Summit. That's where it says St. Francis uh, mm-hmm. and fish that's fry. What, that's why they're and for the next six weeks. I didn't know that. Uh, that's what that is. Yeah. You're suffering. But it all coincides actually with Passover. Yeah. Or what we know as Resurrection Day. So, water returns. Now you have this time of the... Uh, the Passover, which they've been celebrating for 40 years now, and they still do it. Uh, what is that? 3,500 years later, they're still doing that Passover. Amazing, huh? Uh, but that's when the Passover lambs were selected, and that just ties right in here with the crossing of the Jordan River to Israel's deliverance from Egypt. <laughs> so, to the crossing of the Red Sea. That tells us just like what the Passover is, you know. And of course, they're passing over this <laughs> little river here, aren't they? The Jordan. It's a new phase in the history of Israel. This is a huge memorial stone when you really think about it. This is an incredible time. Huh? Yeah. That's what it is. And that's what this is. He's renewing the covenant here in this chapter. He keeps telling them, this is the covenant. And he renews. And that's a, that's what God does to us. You know, sometimes we, you know, in our minds can stray away for a day or two. You know, uh, what, what was I thinking? You know, at the same time, God is there and he's renewing 
the covenant whenever we read His Word. And we get to see that. So, you know, this place where they're at, it's uh, it later becomes like a sanctuary. It becomes like an altar to God. Uh, those were built there in that uh, little area, that Gilgal area that's close to Jericho. A lot of history there. Um, later on, you see Samuel offers sacrifices there. Saul becomes king there. He's made king in Gilgal. Um, by the time of the prophets, though, about 500 years later, Gilgal had become associated with paganism. <laughs> Such a place that had been consecrated and set apart. A lot of history made there as they camped there, but it, it was really a picture of Israel's apostasy also. And, uh, of course, in Numbers it mentions where they had played the harlot. And uh, that's where there were was idolatry. And, you know, about God's memorial stones that are set up, they set up their idols in that same area where God had said, put up these stones to remember what happened there. Isn't that horrible? But that's what man always does to God's stuff, though got to get their hands involved in it and make it better. Yeah. Yeah, add more stuff to it. So it's a permanent memorial that they are to make and since the stones are set up there and um, they're built to commemorate, to always remember God. Well, two things here. Twofold about the monuments. For one thing, it's uh, reminding Israel, for generations after that, that God alone is the Almighty. It's His power that had done all this. Children of Israel just did what He said. So it's power to do as He promises. He will use His power to make sure that the promise comes through. Always. That's you know. So what do we do in turn? Worship Him. Serve Him. Right? And be reminded always of what He has done. The second thing is that all the people of the earth may know that Israel's God is the Lord. Our God is the Lord. We are memorial stones. We're walking stones. And He works in us daily. You know, it's God's Spirit that changes us and makes us more like Him so we are seen by people and that we can make an effect on somebody, right? Anyway, we did two chapters. Took right about an hour. Thank you guys. But it, it all goes together, doesn't it? Those two chapters about the crossing of the river and how good God really is, how powerful He is, and no matter what, keeps renewing the covenant, keeps telling us, reiterating what it's all about. And so...